0: Welcome to Elevate Health Podcast, sponsored by Elevate Health of Pierce County, Washington, and One Pierce Community Resiliency Fund, a subsidiary of Elevate Health. This episode features a community care conversation hosted by Robert Marshall Wells, Elevate Health's Director of Communications. Today's conversation focuses on a new mental health and behavioral health initiative in the city of Tacoma. Robert's guests are Cassie Hallstone and Alicia Morales, co-directors of the HOPE program. Now, here's our host, Robert Marshall-Wells.
1: Hello, I'm Rob Wells, host for this episode of Elevate Health's Community Care Conversation podcast. Our guests today are Cassie Hallstone and Alicia Morales, co-directors of a new initiative in the city of Tacoma, Washington called the HOPE program, which is an acronym for Holistic Outreach Promoting Engagement. Thanks for being with us today, folks. It's great to see you.
2: Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you.
1: All right, so let's uh, get to know you a little bit, please. Could would each of you please tell us a little bit about yourselves, uh, your professional backgrounds, hometowns, all that kind of good stuff, and how you came to be in this work. Alicia, we'll start with you.
3: Perfect, thank you. So I am most recently transitioning from the Health Care Authority, where I oversaw the outpatient competency restoration programs throughout Washington state that pertain to the True Blood Settlement Agreement with DSHS. And before that, I was also a forensic navigator uh, in Pierce County, which also has to do with the True Blood Settlement Agreement. And then I did uh, community-based behavioral health work for multi-care behavioral health in Puyallup, and uh, was part of a department-specific crisis team there. And that's been the last about 10 years of kind of what I've been doing. All right,
1: okay. Are you a social worker by training or...
3: So I'm a marriage and family therapy uh, background and from St. Martin's University.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Great. All right. Thank you. Cassie, how about you?
2: Thank you. Um, so I moved out here in 2007 to go to graduate school at PLU. So I have my licensure in marriage and family therapy. Um, when I first moved out, I initially worked at Old Puget Sound Hospital. So mm-hmm. I've been, I started in inpatient treatment um, and kind of have transitioned through mental health. I've done adoption, um, trauma therapy, private practice, um, overseen a couple contracts at JBLM for domestic violence and new parent support. And then most recently, I've spent the last five years co-responding with the Tacoma Police Department. Um, and that was really where I fell in love with crisis and navigating the system with first responders and being the first point of contact for a lot of individuals who are um, hurting and needing resources and needing some relationship building and um, resource connection. So uh, when the Tacoma Fire Department, created this program in the city of Tacoma, envisioned an alternative response model. Um, That is really where my heart has been, is connecting first responders and the community and individuals in crisis to better services and a different level of care. So really honored to be here and working with my counterpart has been exceptional. So yeah, we're really excited about this.
1: Both of Mm -hmm. you have unique backgrounds that. that qualify you for this position, so we couldn't be luckier to have you both. What is it about this particular profession that drew you, Alicia? Why mental and behavioral health?
3: Yeah, so for me, it's pretty personal. I grew up in a blended family and just had a lot of life experiences that um, made me interested in helping people, but also in needing some help. And so I had some interactions with therapists that weren't always so great and mm. so I wanted to be able to support somebody and then also being a, a person of color, there there are not a lot of therapists that looked like me when I was looking for a therapist. So I think for me that was also, a, a, I wanted to be a resource to people who looked like me because I know that that can have a pretty significant impact.
1: Sure, Sure, absolutely. And Cassie, how about you? What is it that drew you to the helping professions?
2: Hmm. I, I feel like it was kind of always my temperament. Um, I enjoy being a helper. Um, I I really enjoy connecting with people. And um, I like being a person that allows people individual space to be themselves uh, amidst their messy or their chaos. Um, and I feel like I had a lot of people growing up that did that for me. And so I uh, have always enjoyed mental health and wanting to look at behavior and individual personalities and family systems and um, see if I can help people promote their wellness. Uh, And then drawing into crisis, I feel like a high level of intensity has always been really interesting. I have a a knack for staying calm when things are chaotic. Mm -hmm. and, And so... I remember um, when I was first doing trauma therapy with kids in adoption, one of the metaphors we used was be the thermostat, not the thermometer. So you set the hmm. temperature, you don't rise to their level, you d- you don't let them set it, you you be the safe space that they come back to. And I think um, that's something that I've loved to provide on the street and realize that I, I do it in an okay way.
1: (laughs) Well, obviously. Obviously, more than okay, you're being humble. Um, So you're co-leaders of this new initiative here in Tacoma. So why is it necessary and why now? What's going on that makes this something that that we need at this point in time? Alicia?
3: So I, I think the community is really pushing for this and I know that the mayor and city council is also very supportive. I think the reality is that Uh, COVID-19 had a really big impact Mm -hmm. on people's mental health because we, as people, are very social, even if uh, we don't always, aren't always out and about. And Mm -hmm. so I think having a restriction of where we could go sometimes, but then also some fear around interacting with other people really had a, a pretty significant impact. And so I think that we were seeing a lot of people in Tacoma who are experiencing homelessness or are unstably housed and um, and then just other combinations of increased behavioral health symptoms. And so I think it's just a, a time where a lot of change is coming and, and there's a hope for different approaches to behavioral health and understanding that law enforcement and fire EMS are not the, the resources to do that because they have so much other work that they are focused on. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the community and the and the city are just very aware that it's time for something new and, and innovative.
1: That's interesting. What's your perspective on that, Cassie? Would you agree?
2: Mm, I, I definitely agree with what she said. I think what what I'm realizing with how mental health is changing is that, um, access to service and access to care is decreasing because there's staffing shortages, um, there's funding challenges. And so when people are in crisis, it's more challenging for them to get care. And so it, it's actually pushing people to decompensate in their own mental health, just because services are limited. And, When you're looking at police and fire and EMS, they are very specialized teams to respond to emergency crisis. You know, police go when there is a crime or danger or a high level of emergent acuity. Fire responds to fire. EMS is for medical. But there is now a very significant behavioral health component, and so it's important for us to create a team that can support our first responders um, and the community. So we're responding as the specialized first responder for mental health and behavioral health and substance use. And the other component is scene safety. So when the police respond, there's a way that they show up on the scene. When fire responds, there's a way that they show up on the scene. Mm -hmm. And so having a behavioral health component that's actually embedded in these cultures not only creates a more safe and supportive environment for the individual, but it also creates collaboration with these first responders to give the individual a new, unique experience where there's a full system of support rather than just um, the specified mm-hmm. uh, approach.
1: Right. Well, perfect segue to into the Hope Program, and um, so Alicia, give us the the down low on it. How does it work? how, how How's it going to roll out? Um, what does it involve?
3: So we are going to be doing a soft launch in August. And so what that will look like is, the, the overall plan is that somebody will call into 911 and eventually 988 and this team, if they report that they're experiencing a behavioral health crisis, or emergency, and the dispatcher is able to, or the dispatcher is able to discern that they're experiencing a behavioral health emergency or crisis. That this team will respond. So the soft launch will consist of our team listening to the radio mm. and being in the fire station, so that they can tandemly respond and then, and in, eventually independently respond if that's appropriate, if and when that's appropriate. So. Um, we we will be we our program is housed in the fire department and so we are working with the Tacoma Fire Communications, their dispatch mm-hmm. and that is how we will be dispatched. So if somebody calls in to nine one one, it goes to dispatch and then dispatch determines based on the very um and intricate work that Cassie I and the Tacoma Fire Dispatch have done to determine what types of calls our team will respond to mm-hmm. and how we can provide support. So the the response team itself consists of a behavioral health professional and who's a masters level clinician and a registered nurse. And so the they will go out to to the scene, and and the reason that that team is made up of those two types of professionals is because if fire EMS is already on scene, EMTs have a process that they have to follow, and they are able to transition from their level of care to this response team, so that they can actually leave the scene if it's safe to do so, and and they're not needed to be there because it's a behavioral health professional and a registered nurse, and so. Um, and and that that combination provides the behavioral health component as well as some potential physical health care that can be provided. There will also be a, an advanced registered nurse practitioner on the team eventually who can provide short-term medication management services as well as initiate the medication assisted treatment services, so MAT services. And um, and then we have a behavioral health case manager as well who will assist with follow-up, but also will go out in the field because we know that building rapport is really important initially and so they somebody may be in crisis but having the case manager there so that they can connect with them and say what other what other services do you need so that we can support you so that if you experience crisis next time you know wh- where to go and who to call and you're connected <clears throat> instead of having to call 911 and or 988 or knowing that they can call 988 because that's relatively new and and not everybody knows that that's a resource.
1: Could you talk a little bit more about that nine eight eight, Cassie? How does how is that working, and and um, how did it come about?
2: It's a great question. Nine eight eight is the national push to kind of streamline uh, a crisis line for behavioral health intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, it is in the new phases of its rollout, and so I think. There's different pockets of um, how calls are fielded. So 988 is one. Um, crisis Connections is also a group that is fielding calls through the national crisis line. Um, and those get distributed to a mobile outreach crisis team in Tacoma that can go out and do intervention. Um they are currently working on what that looks like in Tacoma. So they have recently placed someone actually at dispatch that can field some of those mental health calls and triage them appropriately. Um, I think what we are trying to identify within emergency services is when is it an emergency call and when is it a crisis call? And um so that, that process is still being refined in Tacoma. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a very sophisticated um, approach to what is a, a, an emerging problem, it seems to me. It's no longer a blunt instrument. Help! <laughs> and then everybody comes. You're trying to find a way to make sure that the appropriate people are deployed at the appropriate time in the appropriate ways. That's not not easy to do, is it?
2: It's not easy to do. And we also have minimal staffing to cover a a large population. Um, And so I think that's one of the tricky components as well is uh, wanting to have efficient response times, wanting to get there as soon as possible based on what the triage level of the call is. Um, We want to provide rapid response but again it's a slow build because sure. we have a variety of teams serving a variety of areas and the it's it's a lot of territory to cover.
1: Again, perfect segue. Could you give us some sense as to how the program is funded and how it's staffed?
3: Yeah, so our program is funded through the one-tenth mental health and chemical dependency tax that the city of Tacoma has been collecting since 2012. And so we received a, a portion of that funding in order to start the program. And it's kind of a pilot but not really a pilot program Mm. so the city and community is very supportive and knows that there's a need and so it's a pilot in the sense that we're starting very small Mm. so we will have two response teams that can go out and uh respond mm-hmm. to people in the community. And right now, the scheduling for that, um, our hope is to have a, a day shift team. So a team that will work from Wednesday, sorry, from Sunday to Wednesday, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then another team that will work from Wednesday to Saturday, from 1 p.m. to 11 p.m. And so during those times, that's when if somebody were to call nine one one and it was a behavioral health crisis or an emer- a behavioral health emergency, that the team would go out and support, and so that can be done via nine one one direct nine one one dispatch, right. or that can be a tandem response. So maybe law enforcement goes and and we are going as well, or fire EMS goes and we're going as well, or they they get the call first because mm-hmm. it's not clear if it it is a behavioral health emergency or crisis right. and so they're already on scene and then they say oh no they they identify that we should be there and they can request us to dispatch and then we the team can also listen to the radio and say we think that we can attach ourselves to this call and they mm-hmm. self dispatch and then of course there's that follow up component so we're really providing three different levels of support in the in the sense that we are trying to create a team that is effectively a first response to behavioral health emergency and crisis also can support as a tandem response and then also provides that follow-up support
1: wow that's amazing can you give us some sense as to um, the types of calls we're talking about here when when if you two were to to appear on the scene what is it that and I'm sure it runs the gamut. But can you give us just some some general sense as to what it is we, you might encounter when you got to the scene?
2: Absolutely. Um, one of the primary calls that we anticipate we will field are welfare checks. So oftentimes you have community members or family members that will call in concerned about someone they see on the street, maybe lying next to their wheelchair or... Um, Appearing to be maybe not reality based or confused or disorganized, those would be really good calls for us to respond to. Um, We also will often get a call, maybe someone hasn't heard from their family member in a few days, or they've made some um, comments about feeling suicidal or not wanting to be here and they haven't heard from them. That would be a really appropriate time for our team to go and knock on their door and try to check with them. We did ride-alongs with the fire department a few weeks ago, and we responded to an overdose. And while we were sitting with the individual, there were a few other individuals who were also using. And so that would be a really good time for us to do prevention. And... Network with them, talk to them, try to get them engaged in services, or just connect with them and see if they need anything. So we want to be able to provide housing options and resources. We want to provide substance use treatment options. We want to be able to connect them to outpatient services or identify what their barriers are. Um, are do they need an ID? Do they need paperwork? Do they need documentation? Um, are how are they connecting with food stamps? So really being able to go to any of these crisis calls and and connect with somebody. Um, oftentimes, there are emergency calls for people who are a danger to themselves. And so, What we've found is if you can engage with somebody and and get them to reconnect with themselves in that moment, oftentimes you can prevent them from going to the emergency room. Um, And so that is one of the goals of our program is how do we give people tools and resources to be able to remain in the community and remain where they are and remain stable in their home or their environment rather than having to rely on emergency departments or detentions or stabilization units. Um, But we want to pack our team in a way that they can identify what level of care an individual needs as well. So they're connecting them with that specific resource.
3: I I think the only thing I would add is that we're, we really want to be a diversion option for people in the community as well as for first responders, because first responders really have the options of taking someone to the hospital, crisis, stabilization, or to jail. And so if we can support first responders in giving them another option to reach out to this team so that they can respond and and hopefully stabilize somebody in the community or get them connected to resources so that they're not either continuing to call because they're experiencing behavioral health crisis or they're going to jail and I I think that that's kind of where this work has a special place for me because I was working within that true blood mm-hmm, settlement right. agreement realm where I seen and worked with and supported a lot of people who we're experiencing a behavioral health emergency or crisis, and we're going to jail and then yeah, going back out into yeah, the community. It's a
1: big cycle, mm-hmm. right? That's the, what I, when I'm listening to you speak, I'm thinking um, some folks might say, well, you know, our taxes are going to pay for, you know, these kinds of services, and, you know, is this the best use of our funds? And I think you both just underscored the fact that going to jail— or going to the emergency room are two much more expensive approaches than what you're talking about doing. Way more expensive, right? Alicia, you said a moment ago that this is more or less a pilot program. So a couple of questions. One, um, when will you know that you succeeded? And I'm using air quotes, succeeded. What will be the metrics by which you determine success? And then the second part of that question is, what happens then? Will the team be allowed to grow and to to meet the increasing need, or what what happens there?
3: I think for Cassie and myself, and and the city of Tacoma, having this program go live is in itself a level of success because we're a resource that is different than what currently exists and is available directly to first responders mm. as an alternative right. to what they're doing now. So I think that the program going live in general is a success. And moving forward, the other things that we're looking at are how many calls are we able to respond to independent of of first responders? Mm. So law enforcement, fire, EMS, how many um, if they are, if, if those first responders are present on scene, how often are we able to divert from a hospital or crisis stabilization or jail? Mm-hmm. And and then we're also looking at other things like what types of calls are we going on? What are the areas? And I think gathering all of that data really will support that we need more Right. We need this. We it's we are a resource yes. for first responders, and, and we will need to grow because Tacoma encompasses eleven zip codes. It's we are also supporting Fife and Fircrest. There's seventeen Ooh. fire stations, four police sectors. It's it's a very large area, Ooh. so wow. um, there's. That in itself it shows that there's there's going to be a need, yes. and then the city did a alternative response study in 2021. So it's been a couple years now, and they were able to ga- gather information that showed how many potentially divertible calls between law enforcement and fire two years ago, and it was about 10 calls. And so, within within like a shift. So if you mm. think that there's that's quite a quite a Ten bit number. Ten calls per shift. Yeah. So if you think wow. that's that's quite a number of calls that can be diverted in a day. Yeah. And so I think that in itself just is why the city and the mayor and community members are so supportive of this program, even right. though it's kind of a a very loose pilot because we know that there's a need and that we will need to grow.
0: We'll be back with more in just a moment. The Elevate Health podcast is a new series produced by Elevate Health of Pierce County, Washington. Elevate Health's mission is to create community coalitions that result in better and equitable health care for all in Washington State and beyond, for more information, visit elevatehealth.org.
1: Cassie, do you happen to know is there anything like this out there elsewhere?
2: I would say alternative response models are growing, so um, there is an increase with fire departments um, and police engaging with these services. There's co-responders with police departments. Um, but what we've found is every jurisdiction runs their team a little bit differently. Um, the one thing that makes us unique is we are going to be responding with a fire department and a police department. Mm-hmm. And we will be dispatchable on our own. Um, We will, I think one of the most important things we can do is really connect and collaborate with community partners as well and understand how their teams are working so that there isn't duplication of services, but more of a a connection of services. And so in our area, um, within Pierce County, there's Mcert and the mobile outreach crisis team. So they are both teams that are doing crisis response. Um but the staffing levels are short. And so we hope to just address more of the clients and more of the population that are not being served currently.
1: Right. You just referred to mcert uh, It's an acronym, uh, Mobile Community Intervention and Response Team, um, which is somewhat like what you folks are, are doing, but it's for the outlying parts of the county. Am I right in that?
2: Yes. Um, additionally, I believe their program is not currently responding to unhoused individuals, um, so they are they are pocket. Uh, they're a growing program, and so right now they are serving pockets of Pierce County. Mm-hmm. But because Tacoma has a a broader um, range of services, I think they're kind of allowing our team to address the. Uh, unhoused individuals and the higher level of acuity crisis. Um, We do find that we will be utilizing them for referral and connection when we have individuals that maybe move out of the city or get into those other areas of Pierce County. So it's
1: the collaboration and cooperation that you were talking about earlier, making sure that the right hand knows what the left hand is doing.
2: Absolutely. And that you're
1: complementing each other.
2: Absolutely. But that's an
1: important distinction, the fact that you will be responding to unhoused individuals, and they only go to addresses, it sounds like.
2: Yes. Is that right? Because I believe their program is expected to follow up with individuals for 90 days. It's, it's easier to track individuals when you're, you're meeting that specific demographic. And mm-hmm. so for long-term cont- continuity of care, I believe their individuals need to be housed.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Um, you both have been in this business for a while, and Alicia, a while back you referred to the fact that COVID has had an impact on the way we way we interact with each other and the way we interact with the world as a as a community. What are these other societal factors you two think might be contributing to this? What it seems to me, and those of us who are um, uh, unschooled in this, seems to be an explosion in mental health issues and, and mental and behavioral health issues. What's going on? Can you help us? What's happening?
3: I don't know. Because I've been working in in this field for a while now, I don't know that it's um, as explosive as it seems. I, I feel hmm. like it's kind of always been going on, but maybe more of an undercurrent and there have okay. been other things and... I think that people are, are just more aware, aware of it now, of it now. yeah. Uh. So they're seeing... Uh, I also think that there's, as Cassie mentioned earlier, um, there's the same need for supports and services and less supports and services are available. Hmm. So I think that that's also what makes it more noticeable when you have people who still need Help and and they're looking for resources, and those resources don't exist anymore. And so um, I know that the Cascade Behavioral Health Hospital recently closed or will be closing. Mm -hmm. And so um, during COVID, uh, a lot of clinicians also transitioned out of that work because it was telehealth and it it was very different from, from what we we're used to doing before. Right. And so there's, there's definitely a workforce shortage of people who can provide that level of support. And I think that with people who are experiencing homelessness or are unstably housed in the community, having resources and people who are willing to go out and meet them where they are is very important and not always available. And so that I think, I think that that is also what makes our team very unique is we will be supporting everyone in Tacoma, regardless of age or housing status. So we will we will support anyone who's experiencing a behavioral health emergency or behavioral health crisis. Right.
1: Right. So a confluence of circumstances may make it look as if uh, it's an explosion, but it's a problem that's always been there. It's just now a bit more exposed. Is that your view as well, Cassie?
2: I would say, um, and this is speaking from my time with the the police department, just in the call volume that I was getting, right. um, pre-COVID, it felt like the level of acuity within calls was maybe a little bit more um, normalized, or after COVID, there was a pretty... Um, expansive amount of calls that were, uh, inclusive of suicidal ideation and homicidal ideation. And the other interesting component is, um, it was almost like when people were working from home, they were more aware of what was going on in their neighborhoods. You know, when hmm. you leave for the day, right. you get to go to work, you don't see what's happening. You maybe right. don't hear your neighbor in the apartment next to you yelling or talking to themselves. And so I think everybody um, is just at a heightened state of awareness as well. Mm. We're, check- we're noticing things that are changing. We're more concerned about how people are doing. I think we're also um, a little more isolated and disconnected. And um, so I would say there has been a strain on mental health since COVID and and the level of acuity and calls has gone up.
1: What would you uh, like our listeners to know? What would you, what call to action would you issue or what would you like them to take away from our conversation today? What should they be aware of or keep in mind going forward?
3: I think a really important piece is that at the end of last year, there there wasn't funding for this program. Right. And then there was a big call to action by the community. The mayor and city council of Tacoma were in agreement with the community that there needed to be some type of alternative response option available. And so I think that that speaks volumes to mm-hmm. the power that the community has in having their voice heard and really advocating for Whatever services they feel are needed, right. and so I think that just continuing to support and share what what the community is in need of with your count with your council member and with the mayor is incredibly important, and it's why Cassie and I are here today. Absolutely, and so I think that knowing what resources are available knowing that our program exists and that if somebody's experiencing behavioral health crisis or an emergency a behavioral health emergency that they can call 988 which is an intervention um on top of a connection to our Program, as well as calling 911 for those behavioral health emergencies. And, and really just knowing the distinction between 988 and 911. Mm-hmm. 911 is really for those behavioral health emergencies where there is a risk of harm to self or someone else. Mm-hmm. And then the behavioral health crisis where 988 comes into play is when somebody needs somebody to talk to because they're feeling suicidal, but maybe they don't have intent or a plan to follow, or there's concern about a family member or a friend or a community member and they want to, um, get support for that person. So really knowing the resources that are available and which ones are appropriate to use because the 911 has kind of become a, a catch all catch-all, and, right. and that's what we are, are here to support. So I think that, um, continuing to support programs like this um, so that we can grow and so that other areas, there are other programs in other states, and then I know that there are some other programs in in different areas of Washington, um, but we are the first to to be able to be directly dispatched from 911. And so just ensuring that if this is something that you're looking for, that you you help us continue doing this work.
1: Right. If audience members want to learn more about the program, I know you've got a soft launch coming up, but if they want to learn more, or uh, where can they look online, or who should they call? Is there a resource that they should should avail themselves of?
3: So Cassie and I, as well as uh, Marissa Edwards, who oversees the Tacoma Fire Department CARES program, she's been in, incredibly helpful to Cassie and I in in standing up our program. And so, thank you, Marissa. Um, but we are developing a, a SharePoint and a website that people will go to. Uh, Cassie and I just started in April, oh, wow. and so we are really hit the ground running to develop the program and, and get it going. So we are still working on some things, um, and our information will be on there. Our email information will be available uh, for for any okay, support.
1: Great. Well, listeners, we will be sure to uh, make that available via our website and social media as soon as it becomes available. Um, And we certainly appreciate you both taking the time to visit with us this morning. We know that you're incredibly busy (laughs) trying to stand up a program that did not exist just a couple of months ago. So you've got your work cut out for you. So thank you. Thank you for your service to the community. Please support the work of Elevate Health by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues and by leaving a rating and review. Please also like, subscribe, or follow Elevate Health Podcast wherever you are listening so that you will never miss an episode. Again, Cassie Hallstone and Alicia Morales, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank
2: Thank you you for having us.
0: episode of Elevate Health podcast was produced by Robert Marshall Wells, Kelsey Horn, and Joshua Wiersma. Original music was composed by Riley Eggy, and the podcast was engineered and edited by Joshua Wiersma. Please support the work of Elevate Health by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues, and by leaving a rating and review. Please also like, subscribe, and follow Elevate Health podcasts wherever you are listening so that you will never miss an episode.